Um, Michael, I almost skipped you. <laughs> I was going to jump right in. <laughs> he was going to tell you our theme was peace. <laughs> and uh, I, was gonna, I started telling you our theme was peace. Everybody hear me? Okay, good. Um, for the second week of Advent, we focus on peace. In John um, chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, uh, Peace I live, uh, leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. We're going to get our new remote mics pretty soon. <laughs> that would definitely help. Um, so it's a little prayer here. Um, Prince of Peace, reveal yourself to us today. We need your peace in our lives, our homes, our families, our church, and our whole world. Help us to slow down and to seek out that peace, or sorry, the peace you provide, so we may become peacemakers for ourselves and others. In your name, Prince of Peace, we pray, amen. Thank you, Michael. Now if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> This idea of peace on earth and uh, how much um, violence there is. Uh, God in his salvation has spent, um, in, in history, has spent many years trying to effect his salvation plan to help uh, bring peace on earth. But what does that peace look like? What does the peace that God wants look like today? And this scripture, I think, tells us exactly what he's looking for here. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself <coughs> one new man in place of two, so making peace. And he might re reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask God for your blessings on, on the hearing 
and the reading of your word. Father, let it go forth and not return void. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. In December 24th of 1914, uh, Europe and what was in the um, heart of the uh, World War I. And there were the fighting, uh, the most intense fighting, of course, was happening in France between French, French and British forces and, and, and the, um, the German forces uh, and, the, and the Austrian forces uh, had formed their, their axis there. And uh, the fighting was intense. Uh, many people thought that the fighting would be uh, quick, that it would be over before um, Christmas hit. Um, but instead what happened in World War I was that there was uh, a complete stagnation, a stalemate that happened. And of course, you, you've seen the, the, or, or have read about the horrors of World War I and, and the trench warfare that began. <coughs> Both sides digging trenches, um, you know, one for at, at the front of the German lines and another trench at the front of the, of the, of the French and British lines and, and Americans were coming in, pouring in to the war later on. But, but, it, but in uh, the beginning, it was essentially a European war. But, but, but both, both sides had these huge trenches where, where their troops would, would hide and, and shoot from. And, and in, in between those two trenches was known as no man's land. And if you so much as stepped a line out of your trench, um, you could expect to be gunned down. And of course, by the time the Christmas of 1914 had come about, there were 100,000 troops already uh, lost, dead. And a, and a terrible stalemate was happening. What ended up happening was <clears throat> the German Kaiser, um, William II, who a lot of people call Kaiser Bill, <laughs> decided that, well, I need to keep my troops' morale up, so I'm going to send them Christmas trees so they can enjoy those in their trenches and to kind of help them out a little bit during this, this terrible time of war. And of course, you know, the, their morale was low. The, the, the French and, and British troops, their, their morale was, was low because here they were uh, going on much further than they thought they were in, in a stalemate war. Uh, but the Germans, you know, um, were getting a little bit disenfranchised and so were some of the, other, the troops on the other side. And so what they decided to do on Christmas Eve of December, in, in, in December uh, 24th of 1914, was they, they put their Christmas trees on top of the trench, outside of the trench. And some of the German troops began um, singing um, Stille Nacht, which is Silent Night. And eventually some of the um, British troops began um, chiming in and singing as well from their, their trench. And officers on both sides began um, commanding their troops to, to do not shoot unless fired upon. And, and sort of an informal truce was, was a call. didn't come from the generals higher up. It came, came from the troops themselves. And uh, they uh, even began kept coming out of their trenches. They began uh, singing with each other and fellowshipping. Uh, some of them were even playing soccer out, out in the middle of the, uh, the no man's land. And for a brief time, uh, on Christmas Day, the, the truce lasted all through Christmas Day, uh, there was peace between these two warring factions. 
But of course, as it is with, with all wars, uh, the higher-ups, the politicians and the generals stepped in and put an end to it and resumed the fighting. And of course, uh, World War I uh, went on. But Christmas is, has always been viewed as a time of peace. And uh, even though for a brief while men stopped their violence, it wasn't long before they started their violence again. And, and so what does Christmas peace really mean? And what does it look like? What does it mean to have peace at Christmas time? It doesn't seem to me to be the absence of war per se. And, and, and God's word tells us it's not just about the absence of war. But to have peace on earth and goodwill on whom his favor rests means that we've got to have God's favor again. We've got to have a reconciliation with God. We have to be at peace with God first and foremost. And to me, that's, that's what this, this peace is talking about here. And peace with God bleeds off into or, or leads off into a peace with others. Peace with other people. The Jews here in this passage, um, in the whole context of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is addressing the circumcised and the uncircumcised, essentially here. Now what do I mean by the circumcised? Well, you know what circumcision is. But circumcision was the sign of the Jewish people being part of God's covenant. In other words, they had literally a mark in their flesh to show that they were part of, of God's chosen people. People that God chose out of the world to bring His message of salvation and, 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 and even to bring forth His Messiah. Jesus came forth from the Jewish people. But they were part of the Old Testament covenant. God called them out of Egypt to be His own people, His treasured possession, so to speak. To pull them out of the world, to be His special people. To, to use them to show them um, what uh, a relationship with God looked like and what God can do in a person's life. And, and they, were, they were supposed to be healed of, of their wickedness and healed of their sin and, uh, and, and, and be obedient to God and, and, and loving Him and loving each other. That, that, that's what God had. That, that was His vision for the world. And the problem is, though, that the Israelites could barely live up to, to God's standards. <laughs> and, and neither could we. But anyway, the idea of, of that circumcision was to mark them as God's chosen people who had access to all the benefits of God's atonement, who, uh, who had all the benefits of God's uh, temple worship, who had all the benefits of coming together, being protected by God in this world. And there are times that, that they failed to keep their end of the covenant, and, and God allowed uh, certain dangers and troubles to come upon them because of that. But God never allowed them to be ultimately destroyed. He always um, had a remnant of people who were faithful to Him. And God loved them. But those who were uncircumcised, th those outside of, of uh, Israel, those, those other nations of the world, uh, they, they, they could not take part in, in what the Israelites took part in. That they, they, they were far away from God. And Paul uses the term, they were far off from God. They, they, they weren't allowed in, in, into the temple worship. Uh, in, in later years, in, in the second temple period, after the temple had been rebuilt, you, know, you, had, you had the inner chamber, of course, which was the temple itself where only the priests could go in. 
Then, then you have the court of the men, they called it, the men of Israel, the court of the Jews, so to speak. Then they had the outer court of women. You know, women weren't all, all, allowed access all the way into um, where, the, uh, temp, the, where the men worshipped. And then there was even another outer court where the Gentiles worshipped. They, they were outside. They, they were considered outsiders by the Jews, especially during the Second Temple period. They weren't, part, they weren't circumcised. They weren't part of the covenant. And, and during this time when Jesus comes, came about, they were considered sinners. Uh, the religious leaders taught that, that those were sinners. You didn't associate with them. If you sat at, at a table with them to eat, you were uh, only confirming them and, and accepting their, their sinfulness and their wickedness. Um, Jesus spends much time um, chiding the Pharisees over their teachings concerning the fact that you don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. And uh, uh, I think there's a lot of people who would barely say today, I don't want to sit down with an IRS agent, <laughs> even today. But, but, but back then, um, tax collectors were uh, traitors to the, to the people. They, they had sold out to Rome, so to speak. And so that they were considered wicked and uncircumcised people. And you didn't bother eating with them or sitting with them. You didn't bother eating with, with other sinners who were, who were not part of God's covenant, who were uncircumcised. You didn't have anything to do with them. But that wasn't God's intention for Israel at all. I mean, yeah, they were God's chosen people. But what does He tell Abraham? It, it, even in the book of Genesis, the, the father of all the Jews is Abraham. He tells him that through you all nations of the world would be blessed. The problem is, is that, that the Jews kind of got it wrong. They, they had forgotten that they were to bring God's blessings to the whole world. And that even though he did call them to be separate, it had more to do with this idea of sinful ways and paganism, not, not simply because um, you know, other people were different or, or they weren't part of God's chosen covenant. He called them to be separate, to protect them from being corrupted by paganism, which eventually happened anyway because the Jews were disobedient. They didn't listen. So when I look at this, I think, what is this, what is this saying? How was God going to define His peace between people? Well, through the Son, Jesus Christ, and this was God's plan all along, He sent Christ to be marked in His flesh on behalf of all the people of the world, both Jew and Gentile. And we know how that mark in His flesh happened. He was crucified on the cross and suffered and died at the hands of, of, of the Romans and, and of the Jewish leadership. They conspired to destroy Jesus. And because of that, the sins of both Jews and Gentiles were heaped on to Jesus Himself. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God in human flesh, suffering and dying at the hands of sinful people, even though He Himself was completely innocent, it turned the world upside down. And it turned the history of the world upside down. It, it turned everything around, not only for the Jewish people, but for 
the Gentile people, the people of the world, the uncircumcised. So what Paul says here, you know, Christ did away with the commands and the ordinances. And he's talking specifically, he's not talking about the whole law of Moses. That, that there is a moral law and, and, and a heart of um, the law that we need to be keeping. That you, you, you hear about the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. There's a spirit of the law that we need to be keeping. And only Christ can help us do that. But he's talking specifically here about the division caused by the command for circumcision. There's no longer, because Christ died once for all and was circumcised sort of in, in a way in his own flesh, all the world can be saved. He did it on behalf of all people. So that now all can come in. All can have their sins forgiven through, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. All can become chosen people of God's chosen people. The, the, the sons of God in this earth, so to speak. They, they, they become joint heirs with Jesus Christ and, 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 and can share in His blessings and in His relationship that He had with the Father. Some people you know, get upset when you say that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus Himself said it, by the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. But if a believer, if, if we narrow things down to the person of Jesus Christ, all the world can be saved. <laughs> all these other religions practice the, this, this idea that you have to follow certain rules and, and, and go through certain rituals and, and do certain things in order to achieve some level of salvation. And, and, and even then, the, the, you know, the, their gods are arbitrary and capricious and that, that they could put their finger on the scale of whoever they want to be saved. But Jesus Christ opened up salvation, opened up the way to God for all people in His own flesh, in His own self. And all we have to do is to believe in that, accept it, repent of our sins, the, those offenses that we've committed against God, turn to the Son, Jesus Christ, where we can have His shed blood covering our sins and become part of this community that God is creating. In other words, peace, as defined here, the peace of God is defined as being reconciled to God. To have a right relationship with God again. To have our sins forgiven because of Jesus' shed blood. To become part of God's glorious um, family. To be part of His glorious kingdom. Peace means being reconciled to God first and foremost. And when we are reconciled to God, only then can we have true peace. But also, as Paul says here, that those who were far away are now brought near. So that both those who were far away and who are near can uh, worship together in one spirit so not only does this peace mean peace with God, it means peace with other believers. Whether they are Jew, whether they're Gentile, whether they were the original people of God or not. And this is one of the big things that Paul deals with all the way through his letters. Is, is getting these, these Jews and Gentiles who are now worshiping together to understand that they were one in Christ. 
They didn't have to be separated anymore. Gentiles did not have to become physically circumcised in their flesh to become believers. Jesus Christ does that through him, for them through His own rent flesh. And, and, and now the Jews can come because of the blood atonement for their sins. Um, they have access to God. God has transformed both their hearts so that, so that they come together. In other words, the, the way of true peace on earth, the, the way that we have peace with other people around us, the, the way that we end hostilities with other people is to come under God's banner and, come, and become one with Him. Because if we are one with God, we become one with each other. That's what peace on earth really means. Having peace with God leads to peace with others. And Christ has brought in the two opposing factions and brought them together into, into this new church. Uh, the, the, those who were the, God's original people and those who would come to believe afterwards. Christ in His own self has circumcised the hearts of both. In His own flesh, He has done the one necessary thing, which was to circumcise the heart. Cutting away what's not needed. Making all people part of His own kingdom. Removing the sin in their lives, which is what circumcision um, uh, symbolized, physical circumcision symbolized. Getting rid of sin in their own hearts and lives and bringing them into this new and glorious saved community. We have, often have the idea, and it's the wrong idea, um, that um, uh, I have to individually give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I don't like that word individual. Or, or, that, or that God is saving um, individuals. And too often we've taken that idea and, and say, well... I don't have to go to church to be saved. I don't have to be part of the whole community, the Christian community, in order to be saved. I can give my heart and life to Jesus Christ right now where I am and, and never have to uh, go to church. In fact, um, religion is terrible. We, sh we shouldn't uh, worry about religion. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't worry about organized religion. We shouldn't be a part of it. I can follow Jesus on my own. And sadly, that, that, that's the state of where uh, people are today as far as, as far as Christian faith goes. And I think it's part of the reasons why a lot of people don't want to come to church. The problem is when, when people look at individual salvation, they, they define salvation for themselves. Um, God doesn't judge me. God's not going to, uh, you know... Um, Tell, tell me that I'm going to hell. God's not going to tell me that, that, that my sin is wrong. I don't have to come out of my sin for God to forgive me. I just need to go to Him and ask Him to forgive me, and He'll forgive me. And I can go on living as I want. That's the problem with, with, the, with this idea of, of an individual salvation. I prefer the term personal salvation. Yes, we have to per personally receive what God has offered us in Jesus Christ. The free gift of His own um, blood atonement to forgive us of our sins. But that brings us into a community. The word person um, in, in the original Latin language has more to do with my role in society. 
or, or my, 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 uh, my role in a, in a group, my role in my family. The term person has to do with me in relation to the whole. <laughs> uh, the word individual literally means what it means. The smallest unit that can no longer be, a, be divided. Indivisible. An individual. That's what it means. The smallest unit that can no longer be divided. But that divorces it from the whole. The word person, personal salvation, means, I, yes, I, I'm responsible for receiving it for myself, but that puts me into um, a group of people whom God is calling, called His church, and, and also the kingdom of God who, who accept His reign and rule. It brings us into community. Hence the word communion. <laughs> you know, God brings us together. He's saving a people. He's bringing them together, the, the opposing sides and opposing people, and bringing them together into His kingdom. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Durin, Durin Gray. I can't even say his name right. Derwin Gray. But he once said, and I thought it was kind of neat. He says, i got people in my church worshiping together. Some of them are over here wearing a Trump 2020 shirt, or, or, or a Trump 2020 uh, uh, shirt. I got some over here wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. He said, but they're here worshiping together because they both love, love the Lord. They have their own opinions, their own ideas about what politics should look like, sure. And, and, and you would think that those two are on polar opposites of each other, and they are. But the thing that brought, has brought them together is their faith in Christ, their love of Christ, and the salvation of Christ. Sometimes, you know, you have, you have a church. Um, one of the things I loved about the church I was in in Mississippi, um, it was a Church of God church, not the Pentecostal wing. You've heard, maybe, maybe, maybe you've heard of it. This is the Church of God Anderson. And I'm not saying anything against the Pentecostal wing. Some people have hang-ups about that. Um, but Church of God Anderson, um, they, uh, they, they were a very mixed-race congregation. Um, you know, I mean, of course, you know, where they were in, in the suburbs of Jackson, you, you're going to have some more white people than you would if you were in the inner city. But we still had, had uh, you know, several African-American families uh, that were there worshiping together with, with white families, and that's what the church should look like. People who are opposing sides coming together, not necessarily opposing sides of, of different races, different creeds, um, different political parties, different political affiliations, whatever those minor differences are, it seems like in the United States, people, our politicians are trumping up those, um, or, or lifting up those um, divisions and, and trying to keep us divided and, and, uh, and purposely stirring the pot so, so that, so that uh, by dividing us, that they can control us better. And people say, well, that's a conspiracy theory. I don't think it's conspiracy. I, it, I see it happening right in front of my face. It's not a conspiracy. You know, trying to divide people by all these different things, uh, rich and poor, or, or uh, you know, black and white, or Hispanic and, and Caucasian, or, or whatever it is, whatever the differences are, educated or uneducated. Um, you know, all of these different things are just ways of, of taking away our personal identity and grouping us into these groups where um, they, you know, they, they can sift us out and, and, and control us better. 
And I, and I think it's, it's, a, it's terrible what's happening in our society. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't take a, you know, a, 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 a controlling government to do that. Sometimes we do it ourselves. You, you hear the term and phrase all the time, birds of a feather flock together. And our tendency, it is to flock with, with our own group and our own people and those kinds of things. But a lot of these things have caused enmity in the world. And, and, and they've caused a lot of strife in the world. The only, thing, the, the only differences that God sees are those who have accepted the Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, and those who haven't. He still loves those who haven't accepted Christ as Savior, but they cannot experience God's love until they come through the Son to Him. And again, Jesus has done that. Because there is a right and wrong in the world. There is, there is justice. You've got to have justice if you're going to have peace. There is a right and wrong in the world. But God has provided a way that we can receive forgiveness of our sins. And it's through Jesus Christ. And He can bring Himself multiple opposing groups together. His salvation is for all. His salvation was for the Jews. His salvation was, was for the non-Jews. His salvation is, is for you know, the whites. His salvation is for the black. His, his salvation was for the Europeans. And His salvation is for uh, the Middle Easterners. <laughs> what, what, however you want to class or group people, those things mean nothing to God but the one Son, Jesus Christ. If we come to Him in faith and in repentance, He is the one that brings the whole world together. I see uh, Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when God poured out His Holy Spirit onto all flesh, all those who believed in the Son, Jesus Christ. It brought the world back together. Different races, di different people of different languages heard the gospel in, in, their, in their own language. Multiple people, you know, different people from all over the world were in Jerusalem during the time of Passover. And they heard the gospel in their own language and they all came, you know, about 3,000 became saved that day. And they heard the gospel in their own language for the first time because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the undoing of what happened centuries before in a place called the Tower of Babel where the whole world came together under one banner, under one man, human man, rejecting God, but came under one human man, and how that human man came and, and defied God, and God confused our languages and sent them off throughout the whole world. The whole story of Jesus Christ from His birth, His death, His resurrection, to the coming of the Holy Spirit, all of that is about the undoing of the separation of man from God and the separation of man from each other. And praise God that through Him they all become one again and can worship together. So my charge to you is, what differences, what prejudices are you holding? Don't hold them against other believers in particular. We, we, we need to be reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Christ and loving them, whoever they may be. We need to be trying to reach those who may not look like us to bring them into God's kingdom because God welcomes them as well. But they still have to come through the Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can change hearts and lives to bring them peace in their hearts with God and bring them 
into peace with other people. Let's stand.